Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I mentioned at the start of the service, we're continuing our sermon series called We Are Witnesses. And, and what God has left us in his word is an eyewitness account of the people who followed him, the disciples. And as we see some of these eyewitnesses account, accounts, we too get to become witnesses of the great things that God has done for us. Today, we're going to see Jesus' amazing love in this meeting that happens at the town gate in Nain. Just out of curiosity, I know we have some international travelers in here. How many of you have ever been to the Eiffel Tower in Paris? Raise your hand if you've been to the Eiffel Tower. Okay, we have quite a few. Quite a few. Had more in the first service, but that's okay. I had an opportunity to be at the Eiffel Tower back in 2015, and, and I will tell you, and, and maybe some of you who've gone felt this way too, or if you've seen another, another national landmark, it's sort of surreal to all of a sudden be standing at something that you've only seen in pictures and postcards and to kind of be there to see the real thing, this, this structure that is universally recognized. But that wasn't the only thing that was kind of amazing when I visited the Eiffel Tower in Paris. There we were visiting and I was walking around the grounds of the Eiffel Tower and I bumped into somebody that I knew from Wisconsin. Neither of us had any idea that the other was going to be in Paris. Secondly, we had no idea that the day and the very hour that we were both at the Eiffel Tower that we were going to be there at the same time. I wouldn't even begin to know how to calculate the odds of something like that happening, a chance meeting. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your life where, where you have met someone in a place where you least expected to recognize anyone else and were kind of amazed that your paths crossed at that point. As we read Luke chapter 7, as we walk through it again, heard it already in the gospel lesson, as we walk through it again, what we're going to see is there's a meeting that occurs right at the city gate, the town gate. And maybe nobody else in the two parties that met there had any idea what was happening outside of Jesus himself. And yet in this meeting that happens, where these two processions meet together, we get to witness the amazing love of Jesus. And as we witness the events that happen in this short text in Luke chapter 7, let's note a couple of things. First of all, we're going to see that, that death and life meet. And when they do, what the result is. Victory and hope result. Listen to how Luke sets up what's going to happen a little bit later in the first couple verses of our text. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. That idea of soon afterward, if you go back in, in Luke chapter 7, what you would read in the first 10 verses is that Jesus is in a place called Capernaum, and if you want to see it on the map here, it's toward the top of the Sea of Galilee. You might remember that, that, that Jesus spent an awful lot of time in his ministry in this area around the Sea of Galilee, and he healed the servant of the centurion in those first 10 verses of Luke chapter 7. Where he went from there, to, from Capernaum to Nain, is about a 20-minute or 20-mile trip. Maybe we could ask ourselves, why? why? Why did Jesus make this journey from Capernaum to Nain? 
And the Bible doesn't answer that question. But what it does do is show us what happened when Jesus got there. And that's where we get to witness Jesus' amazing love. Do you see what's happening in the text? Luke has these two groups on this collision course, right? You have Jesus and his disciples who are coming from Capernaum to the town of Nain. Meanwhile, there is another procession that is walking out of the town of Nain and going to the town gate. Did you notice that those two processions would have had completely different moods? You have to think that the people following Jesus were pretty excited, right? They're watching Jesus perform miracles, listening to him preach and teach. They're excited about what's going to happen next. And then there's the funeral procession coming out of the town of Nain, a procession marked by sadness. I know that every funeral carries with it an amount of sadness. We're sad to know that we won't see people that we loved on this earth anymore. It's hard to think about not having an earthly relationship with someone that perhaps we were close to. But do you see how Luke demonstrates that this one was especially sad? He's not discounting that other funerals are sad, but this woman who lost her son, a young man in the prime of life, was a widow. This was tragedy on top of tragedy. She was already without her husband, and now she was without her son, her only son, the Bible tells us. Almost leads us to ask the question, doesn't it? How did this happen? How did the world get to this point where the pain and sorrow and hurt of death is such a part of our everyday lives? Was this what God intended? Did did he want us to feel this kind of grief? Did he want us to experience this pain? You probably know the answer to that question, but let's listen to how the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans tells us how death came about. He writes this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. It's not God's intention that people would die. Maybe you can remember the last funeral that you've attended. Maybe there's a few people here, maybe especially younger people, who who can't remember attending a funeral. And if that's the case, consider that a wonderful blessing. For those of us who can remember the last funeral we went to, for those of us who have suffered loss of a loved one in this life, you know the pain that that can bring, the sting that death and sin have. Last weekend, I had an opportunity to go to a funeral of a friend in, in La Crosse, and, and, and this friend uh, passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And if you know anything about Lou Gehrig's disease, you know that it's incredibly debilitating while your mind uh, continues to function. And what made it even additionally sad is that, that this friend had lost his wife about three and a half years ago to cancer. And I thought, this, this, isn't, this can't be what God wants, Right? I had a little trouble just processing the why. Why would this all happen to to one family? And then as I sat at the funeral and and listened to the encouragement from God's word, from the songs that were being sung, I was reminded that this isn't the way God wanted it to be. When he put Adam and Eve in this world, when he created them, he intended for them to live forever. It, It wasn't God that caused death to come into the world. It was sin. 
As some translations of Romans chapter 5 say, death spread to all people because all have sinned. Those are hard words to hear, aren't they? Because you know what it means. You know that in the next chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 6, when the Apostle Paul writes, the wages of sin is death, that we know that there's a collision course waiting in our own lives. That we're here right now with life, but death is getting closer and closer with every passing day, isn't it? And maybe a good reminder that, that even though we look at death as something that's sort of natural in this life, it's just going to happen at some point, it isn't natural to God. It's not what God wanted. And then the joy in reading something like Luke chapter 7 to be reminded that even when death and life meet, it's Jesus who wins. It's life that wins. Listen to how Jesus handled the situation with this young man who had died. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Did you notice it? Just the heart that Jesus has once again. His heart went out to her, Luke says. The compassion that Jesus had for this widow overflowed. If you were here last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And in the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle, this crowd follows Jesus, and we're told that Jesus had compassion on them. It's the exact same word here. That word where Jesus felt it in his guts, splankna. He felt it deep inside. He had a heart for this woman. And so, I wonder, have you noticed, as you read through the Gospels, that this characteristic of Jesus is really the defining one of his entire ministry, of his whole purpose of coming to earth? It's all about compassion. It's all about Jesus' love for you, for me, for others. He wants all people to know and love and appreciate what he came to this earth to do. Then look at his approach with the widow. He goes up to her and simply says, don't cry. Does that mean that Jesus wants us to never be sad when a loved one is gone? That's not what Jesus is saying. But maybe what Jesus is saying to us today is, I'm the one who dries tears. And that's certainly what he was saying to the widow as well. He had two reasons that Jesus could say to her, don't cry. One is because we know the same truth that we too will rise one day from the dead. But that second reason Jesus had is that he was about to do something special for the widow and for her son. Here's where it all comes down. The big showdown at the city gate. One procession that represents death. The young man who had passed away and the grieving mother and all of those who followed with her. And then life, represented by Jesus, meeting at the city gate and... Spoiler alert, life wins. Because Jesus, with just a couple of words, get up, is able to bring that young man from death to life. Isn't that amazing? To look at those beautiful words and understand that, that Jesus, using just the power of his almighty word, can bring someone from death to life, and that means you, too. 
Jesus will say to you one day, get up, and you will rise from death to live with him forever in heaven. Listen to how Luke reports the aftermath of the miracle. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What a miracle. What an amazing miracle. Luke just tells us the young man sat up. He sat up. He was no longer dead, but alive. And then do you see Jesus' amazing love, his compassion even further? Luke just says it this way. He gave her son back to his mother. What amazing love that God had to, to take away the pain of this woman by returning her son to her alive. You remember that Luke told us that there were two groups, two large groups, a large group following Jesus, a large group in the funeral possession that are meeting at the city gate. And now he tells us they're all filled with awe. They could hardly believe what they just had a chance to witness. Someone being raised from the dead. God has come to help us, they concluded. And they spread the news about Jesus throughout the whole country. God has come to help. Isn't that what Easter is all about? Isn't that why celebrating Easter only once a year probably isn't quite enough? Easter is something we want to celebrate every single day. Because Easter is our reminder that Jesus has defeated sin in our place. That the sacrifice that Jesus made, the payment that he made for sin, was accepted by God. And we stand before God holy and blameless because of Jesus. It's the resurrection, it's Easter that reminds us that sin and death are gone forever. That we have the victory. You see, this resurrection of, of the young man at Nain is a preview. It's a preview first of, of Jesus leaving his own tomb empty. But then isn't it a preview for us too? To know that we aren't going to stay in our graves forever? That's what God is doing as he encourages us to witness Jesus' amazing love. He's reminding us that we have hope. That we have purpose. That we have Joy to live in this world knowing that the victory over death is already won. Yes, death might be coming closer and closer, but, but life will always win. Let me read these verses from 1 Corinthians 15 again that we read earlier. The victory that is ours. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? A few takeaways from the sermon today. Number one, death has a sting. But through Jesus, we are not left without hope. When the Apostle Paul wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote that he doesn't want his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica to be ignorant about those who had fallen asleep or, he says, to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Did you notice what Paul didn't say? He didn't say, don't be sad when a loved one dies. He just said, don't grieve without hope. You have the hope of the resurrection, the hope that Jesus guarantees our own resurrection because of his. That's number two. At the last day, Jesus will say to us, get up and we will rise. 
Do you remember Job's words in the middle of all of his suffering? His confident proclamation, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. That's our hope too. Our Redeemer lives and so will we. Finally, number three, our resurrection victory is certain because Jesus lives. Thanks be to God, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not happy to think about death. I understand that. But it's also realistic, right? We know that with each passing day, that collision course that we're on, life versus death is coming closer and closer but life wins. Jesus wins. Jesus' death and resurrection in your place means that you too will not lose to death. You will rise to live forever. Life defeats death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That gives us confidence, doesn't it? To live our lives in this world, knowing that nothing can change the outcome, that our eternal life is already secure through Jesus, and that nothing that happens to me here can change what Christ has already won. It's why Paul could conclude that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, with these words of encouragement to you and to me. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. That's what we get to witness in the resurrection of the young man from Nain. We get to see Jesus' amazing love and his amazing power, which guarantees us a life with him forever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.